I would love to know what your definition of the word intentional is. <laughs> intentional. I think you have a plan. I think, I think there's, you're following a mindset with a plan and you're meaning to do it, you know? So, so like there's a plan in place. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. Hey everybody, welcome back. Very excited for this episode today. If you have not uh, been following this mini-series, we are in a mini-series called Through the Eyes of a Business Buyer. I kicked it off talking about the five main exit options that are focused on in principle number three of the Intention Growth Principles. And so far, I've interviewed private equity firms, family offices, acquisition and ser- acquisition entrepreneurs and search funds, And next week's episode is about family transitions. It's one hell of a story. Very excited for that one. And today, my goal is to dive deep and give you a view inside of the mindset of a strategic buyer. And there's a lot of reasons that I want to do this episode because everybody that I know, and myself included, always can think of the top five people that would want to buy their company. It's a strategic buyer that's in their industry, different geographic location, maybe in a different vertical or in the supply chain, but there's a strategic reason that it just makes sense that they would want to buy your company. But today, what I want to do is instead of just guessing why someone would want to buy your company, let's really unpack and get a view inside of that strategic buyer's mindset. So why, why are people buying companies and what is their intent and how does their intent and their goals impact the company post-closing? And so I thought of no one better than my friend, Tommy Mello, who is the owner of A1 Garage Door. And Tommy, I met at a Young Entrepreneurs Council, YC, at a ski trip years ago. And I've watched him and it has just been insane. Tommy has more energy than me, like like by 10x, which is scary, but very entertaining and, and a lot of fun to watch. And Tommy, what he has been doing, he went from $50,000 in debt in two trucks to now he's doing over $150 million in revenue with 500 employees, and Tommy has built a machine. There's just no other way to put it. He knows his numbers. He knows his uh, operations, numbers in the operations and the financial numbers. He understands equity growth, and he knows how to take a company that might be doing a million dollars in EBITDA, buy it, and apply his philosophy and his operations and turn it into $4 million in EBITDA in like 12 months. And that's how he's been scaling this company. And he's been focused on his unique abilities, delegating to other people. It's just one hell of a story. And the, what I want everybody to take away from this is that, yes, Tommy might not buy your company because if you're not a graduate company, that's probably not going to happen. However, we all think about these strategic buyers and you have every right to ask all the questions about what are they going to do with the company afterwards? How does that align with your desire to have a culture after the closing? your desire to have alignment with the strategic vision of the company long-term and what's going to happen. There's going to be a monetization and an event there where you get the money when and how you get it, but, and it might come with a premium, but what are the implications behind that? I had to gut the company when my dad and I sold and that was the nature of it. It wasn't the buyer's fault, but there's your ability to say, if they buy this company, what are they going to do with it? And Tommy is a wonderful example of here's a human being who's got a lot of horsepower behind him 
And by him explaining what he's doing with his company, you can get the confidence to ask all those questions to someone else if they knock on your door. And a little bit about Tommy, he's got his A1 Garage Door. He's the podcast of the home services expert. And then he wrote a book called The Home Services Millionaire. He's on the, is, uh, writing another book. And he is just sharing everything that he's doing so other people can understand how to build a cash flow machine and change a lot of people's lives. A little up update and one last announcement is we have two spots left at our Intentional Growth Physical Boot Camp. It's on November 2nd and 3rd at Bethel University, and it's 5000 bucks. If you want to go check out the agenda and what's going to be happening over the two days, go to arcona.io. Feel free to reach out. Very excited. We have a wonderful group of people that have a lot of desire to learn and dive into the case studies and all the material. It's going to be a lot of fun. So with that being said, without further ado, here's my interview with Tommy Mello. You ever found yourself in your office after an executive meeting and you're sitting there going, I have huge decisions to make, whether it's hiring that next key employee, buying that next piece of machinery, buying a building, launching a location or product or whatever it might be. And you're sitting there going, is this the right decision? And then you think back about the original vision you had when you started the business or the vision you have right now that you know is possible in the marketplace. And you sit there and go, how do you know and how do I know that what I'm doing is the right thing when realistically you have the option to just take all the money home and solve for annual cash flow and essentially just have a job that's kicking out a lot of cash? The reason that you would do all those things is because you want to grow a company that's worth a bunch of money that gives you the freedom of choices to do what you want long term, whether that's take a back seat and be a passive investor, whether that's sell part of it or some of it, essentially just have as many choices as you want. But what we find is that most times entrepreneurs and business owners are solving for annual cash flow because they don't know how to measure and monitor the value of the business and where they are today and how what they're investing and doing is growing a more valuable business and how to measure that into the future. And I had experienced the exact same thing. I ran a family business that was doing 20 million in revenue, 100 and some employees. And my dad and I had this constant conversation back and forth about what we should be doing and where we should be going, but we never really knew whether what we were spending our time and money on was making us progress towards that eventual goal of having a valuation that we wanted that gave us the choices. So then you have to sit there and go, maybe I should just take the money home or I should just hope and pray. That is exactly why we created this financial assessment because if you organize your financials in a certain way and we have this financial foundation with four components, you take this assessment, it's 22 questions, you don't need your financials and at the end result of it, there's a results page where Pat, my partner and I walk through five videos to show you a case study of what good looks like and how to actually project out the future value of the company and how you can make the, the decision's clear today to say, if I do these things, what's the impact on cash flow today, my ability to fund my growth, take the distributions, pay for taxes, all while staying in line, progressing towards the valuation that I want. So go take the assessment below and I hope you enjoy. Mr. Mello, how are you, man? We're, uh, the, the, the tables have turned and now I'm interviewing you. How are you, Tommy? I'm great. Excited to be here, Ryan. So I, you know, I have, first of all, I have to give you a big thank you because, uh, the podcast that we did, man, I have 
had so many really, really, really cool people and genuine people reach out since they, so you've got a, a one hell of a following, but also man, just super real people. And I, I honestly, like I've been on a lot of podcasts, so props for what you're doing, man, you're, you're building the following. And, uh, so I'm excited to introduce you to my audience and want you for the, for the listeners, kind of give us the cliff note version of what, what you're doing right now, uh, kind of what, what you're working on. And then we're going to go back and I want to kind of unpack the whole story of how you got to where you are. Yeah. So I own A1 Garage Door Service started in 2007, but I tell people I really started in 2014 because I worked in the truck the whole time till then. Uh, we fix, repair, maintain garage doors. We're in 20 states, 29 markets, pacing for about $150 million. Then we're, we're starting to do some mergers and acquisitions, so hopefully hit around 200 this year. But remember, revenue is for vanity and profit is for sanity. So we try to keep our bottom line between 18 and 22%. And uh, Working on a book, we've got Vertical Track coming up. That's our event. Uh, building a special group called the Home Service Freedom Group. It's a buyer's group that that's supposed to give discounts for everything from tools to how you do your marketing to really every facet of the business. Uh, everything from QuickBooks to your CRM, which is Service Titan or House Call Pro. We work with them. And um, it's a the, the, the kind of mentality that I have is this should pay you back. Not only do you become a member, and it, it is a fee, but you actually earn money. You, you save money because of the, the mm-hmm. buying power of the group. So the economy is a scale. So that's what I'm working on. And, uh, man, I got to tell you, <laughs> I'm a very happy person. It's busy, but I got to tell you, I, I, I got this quote in front of me. Let me just read this real quick. Yeah, yeah. The master in the art of living makes little distinction between his work and his play. His labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his information and his recreation, his love and his religion. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence at whatever he does, leaving others to decide whether he is working or playing. To him, he is always doing both. And that quote like hit me like a ton of bricks because I don't feel like I ever work. That's I'm just awesome. having fun. I really am. I know people say that, and they're, you know, but I really don't get anxiety. I'm having fun. So what is it that, um, that is motivating you? Like, what is your, what's your goal? What's your aim? And how do you take all those topics and kind of synthesize them together to work towards something? So like, what, what is it that you get up and you're marching towards every day? You know, I've thought a lot about this and it used to be to do what I want, when I want with who I want. And I'm a big fan of taking people with me. Um, I realized now that I've kind of built a family around my business because we have going on 600 employees now. And they're just like-minded people. I'm a visionary. I've got a lot of integrators. And <laughs> Peter Parker's uncle said, with great power comes great responsibility. And now it, it used to be a $100 million goal. And what I realized, I'm reading this book, and it, it talks a lot about living in the now and appreciating what we have. And Because once you get $100 million, what's the next goal? So it's called the gap and the gain. Hmm. And a lot of people always live in the gap instead of living in the gain. And I'm really trying to just, you know, really live. I want to take my dad um, to the best golf courses and start with the country, uh, and maybe <laughs> the world. I want to, I want to spend more time with my mom and my sister and my niece and nephews. And just there's a good book by Dan Thurman called "Off Balance on Purpose." And I'm telling you, if you're praying ten times a day and you're working out perfect, you're probably not spending enough time with family and putting in twelve hours a day at work. And it's figuring out these points in your life when to get ahead. And, um, you know, I, 
I love what I do. I, I build relationships. I travel. Uh, I, I look forward to each and every day and I'm healthy, which means a lot because, you know, um, the, I'm, I'm quoting some books, but the ultimate sales love, machine by, you know, Chet Holmes, ultimate sales machine. I, I talked to Amanda, Chet's daughter, and she, she remembers him on his deathbed just saying, you can't take it with you. Like all my hard work, the hours I've spent, um, it means nothing now. Same thing with Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting to live in the now. Well, anything in particular that helps you do that? You know, what I started doing during COVID, it kind of forced me to just sit. And I don't want to call it meditation because I don't love that word. But I like reflecting a little bit and kind of celebrating the wins. And to me, it's been very hard because I'm such a forward thinker that I really vaguely and sometimes never used to really think about the past and what goals I've accomplished. And Mm -hmm. I just, I love networking and meeting people and and asking questions and going and visiting successful shops like HVAC and just success leaves clues. And the more I get around the people that have impacted like happy, truly happy people that are Mm -hmm. successful and success just doesn't mean money. It means great relationships. It means living every moment as it counts. And you start to really, I tell people, if you want to be a better dad, hang around five good dads. And (laughs) that's the secret sauce. If you want to have a happy life, that's truly abundant, get around those people that truly, there's a lot of fake people out there, but you know, for the most part, I think in home service, we stay pretty, these blue collar guys are the real deal. I, I will, uh, the, the people I've been interacting since, uh, our show together, I would, I will, uh, echo what you said. So in the spirit of reflecting, you know, you had said, I'm assu- I don't know if you've always thought this way, Tommy, but you know, you had, you, you kind of gave two benchmark or kind of do two data points. Are you working in a truck from 07 to 2014? And then 2014 is when you really kind of started that business. So you've been, when it's, uh, from our interactions, very, very, um, keen on talking about people. You talk, to talk about your book that's coming up, but I want to kind of maybe take some of these themes and some of the things you were just talking about, the lessons learned, you know, talking about how you've grown your company and then how you're essentially rolling up these companies right now and your philosophy, right? Cause like through the eyes of the buyers, like there's going to be buyers out there and there's people doing things that are buying companies and they're running them. What drives them? Right. And like, what are the, what's going to, how is that going to impact them? So like, I want to go back to the origin story. And then like, so what happened between 07 and 2014? And then what was the kind of the, the pivotal point in 2014 that accelerated your growth? So the first few years I had a partner and we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, I thought we did, but I was the technician. I answered the calls. I was in a movie theater and I'd walk out to take the calls. I'd go run emergency jobs. I mean, I was in the truck and 2010, we went our separate ways. And I'm like, do you want to take on the debt? We were best, best friends roommates and business partners. It was like, it was like a divorce, but we're, we're still best friends. And, um, I got my mom and stepdad, my stepdad lost his job in Michigan. He was doing really well, but he was in the automotive industry 2010. And I said, Hey man, I can pay you like 65 K mom could make like 16 bucks an hour. It's not a lot, but I have something pretty special here and I'll get you up to where you need to be within two years. And really back then I was looking for somebody that I could trust and depend on. And trust meant everything. At that point, people were stealing toilet paper out of my office. Um, So trust was a huge deal. And I I trusted him to do the things. And I've always been really 
not a control freak. I, I always wanted to delegate things and I never wanted to be involved with payroll. I wanted to focus on training, sales, and marketing. And so Bill well, was great. Me, I, a clarifying question there. Cause like, I find it very interesting that trust is such a huge thing, but yet you still found it that there was a possibility of you delegating and not being a micromanager. How did you balance? Because a lot of people that have trust issues then micromanage and, you know, probably uh, suffocate their growth a little bit. So how did you um, reconcile those two? So I know I could trust my mom and Bill. Like I knew for a fact they weren't going to go around and steal from me. So, so that was one of the big things. And that's kind of why you pull family in. I think it's not always a good decision. Um, <laughs> we did great. And my mom answered the phones amazingly. She taught me a lot. We, we learned a lot together. In 2014, I've got a high-end integrator. I got a buddy of mine, a buddy's buddy that I met casually throughout the years. And he goes, he, he got a buyout from the airlines, United. <clears throat> and he said, why would I come do garage doors? And I had a really nice house and he came there. I still have the house and he was impressed by the house. And he's like, you, you, you bought this with garage And I said, dude, here's the thing. This is going to be a billion dollar business. And I said, the people that follow me will get everything they've ever dreamed of. And I said, you, you put your money on me. I promise you, I won't let you down. And I said, what's your number? And he goes, I'd like to have 5 million. And I said, I guarantee you, you'll, I'll make that happen within 10 years. And he said, all right, I'm in. And <laughs> That's and awesome. uh, he was a uh, he was a, a very, very he's still with me and he's a very very smart guy he's one of the smartest dudes I've ever met uh, super high IQ and he really figured out how to do the back end stuff like the the CRM and build the price book I focused on what I did the best and he gave me the next level to really focus and not have to worry about a lot of things in 2017 I heard of this company called Service Titan because. To, to Adam's chagrin, I haven't used that word ever, I don't think. So this is the first. But to Adam's chagrin. <laughs> well, I, uh, well, placed, well placed, Tommy. I like it. <laughs> he wanted to stay at our existing CRM. And I was getting ready to go to Salesforce to build a Frankenstein. And I found out this company called Service Titan. And they wouldn't let me on the CRM. They said, you're a garage company. We, don't, we only do plumbing, HVAC, electrical. And I got a hold of the CEO through LinkedIn. And he called me. And he goes, Tommy, my name's Ara. Hey, man, I know you're really trying. You've already talked to 10 of my sales guys, dude. He's like, I'm sorry, man, but we're focused. You could understand how what focus is and how we're, we're trying to really own these industries. And I said, Ara, I said the same thing to Adam. You know, I said, dude, if you put your money on me, I will be the largest garage company in North America. I will build out the price book and I will have 100 other garage companies on here. And he goes, you know, let me talk to my partner. His name is Vahe, and I'll get back to you. He calls me back. He's like, dude, you're freaking nuts. He's like, we're <laughs> going to do this. He's like, I'm sending out 10 people, 10 onboarding specialists. He's like, I don't know why, but I'm trusting my gut on this one. And uh, I got him his first painting, his first roofer, his first gutter company. You know, now they're a $10 billion company. But I got to tell you, I owe him everything. Like, I owe those two guys. I, I don't say what I did for them because it's not what I did. They they've helped me expand their, their software's unlike any other thing in the home service space. So with the right software, the right integrators, then I learned about manuals. I learned about standard operating procedures and checklists. And I, I hired this guy named Al Levy, and I spent a, a few hundred grand with him. 
And then I hired a bunch of consultants and learned, I mean, expensive lessons. I just didn't make the same mistake twice. And, uh, you know, here we are, very profitable company. I don't need to be here. I choose to be here. And uh, the company grows without me, but I think I'm more of the gas. I'm like, like one of the things we're working on is, is how do we get to 400 million? How do we become, how do we get to 400 million of EBITDA, by the way, not 400 million of revenue? So that's when you get this kind of goal, the outcome, you reverse engineer, your brain needs to go into this mm-hmm. mode of what needs to happen today to get there. Not, mm-hmm. not, it's not a dream. It's not like, oh, I want to do 400 million EBITDA. No, I said 400 million EBITDA. What needs to happen today to hit this goal? And, oh, and we truly, we put our mindset in that mode and you start building today. And I think that's really what needs to happen. And uh, that's 10 times from where we're at today. But it's really, it's the Grant Cardone 10X. You know, you start mm-hmm. thinking a little bit differently. So, Tommy, I, I, which I, music to my ears and all the audience's ears is you just reverse back into a plan. Like, what a concept, right? What I think has been super fascinating as I've uh, been watching you and uh, is your, you, like you started, I interrupted your in a little bit ago, is when you started talking about what you were focused on and you were the gas and you delegated. So, like, you have built systems and, and built things around you that you've been focused on your strengths versus your weaknesses. So maybe talk a little bit about the systems you talked to the manual, the price book, like how are you thinking about those projects and why did you call service Titan that many times? Why did you know that that was the right thing? And how did you view like systems and systematizing things? You know, I've come down to this concept. It, it really, I could do this with any company now. I could go into, especially any home service company, it, it, it's a relatively easy equation. But but first of all, I wrote down a billion dollars on the top right of that whiteboard. And then I drew a line all the way to the bottom left. <laughs> and I wrote five checks in there of what would need to happen in the next five years. And I said, we would need, because everybody here thought I was a nut job. They were like a billion dollars. This guy's, what is he smoking? And I called him in here and I say, hey, guys, I've just been jotting some stuff down on the whiteboard. I want you to check it out. If we're going to get 2,000 technicians that do 500 grand a year, we're going to need a recruiting staff. We're going to need a trading center. We're going to need to figure out the trucks. So I spent three years designing the perfect truck. I spent Mm. like building recruiters, trainers, the curriculum, the learning management system. I said, we're going to need to be able to put out technicians. We're going to need tablets. We're going to need. So we figured out all the weak links to be able to scale. And then at Hockey Stick, and I wrote down everything, and they go, this dude's serious. They walked out of here knowing we're going to do a billion. I love it, man. They walked out of my office. They said, this guy's for real. And now that you hear what the, you hear what they say. They say, we're going to do more than a billion in revenue. And $400 million is a couple billion-dollar company at 20%. But I think the secret sauce in the equation goes like this. How much money do you want to do? Then I want, to, I want you to divide that by your average ticket. And that's how many jobs you need. And then I want you to divide that by your conversion rate when you're face-to-face, divide that by your call booking rate, and then I want you to multiply that by what it costs you to acquire a customer, and that's how much you need to spend in marketing. And I go into businesses and I write down these numbers, which I need a system to get me these numbers. I don't, I talk to husbands and wives and they're like, yeah, we're probably booking 90%. They're actually booking like 62%. Most companies, the average booking rate is 45%. So that's the number one hole is what's the system you're using to get these numbers. So I have a data integrity team to make sure my numbers are dead on. And 
you go in and you work on the weakest link, but it's really those numbers to keep it simple. And then you can dig into those numbers uh, by technician, by CSR, by dispatcher. And there's certain things you could do to kind of help things out like supply chain issues. But overall, I go into a company, I look at those and I, there's always a big gap at one of those. And I'm like, if we fix this and fix this. So I focus a lot on fixing those little things. And then Mm -hmm. also how do I raise the average ticket? How do I raise the conversion rate? And then I just need to pump fuel in the, in the tank and bring in more customers. And it sounds easy, but really when you get the right people in place, I'm telling you, you put me in a Christmas light business. You put me in a landscaping company. You put me in HVAC. I don't care what it is. I can build a billion dollar company within three years. And it, and it's because of that equation you were just talking about, right? The like, equation, you know, like, but, but, but the real equation is the leadership team. And I'm a bottom up guy, but I'll tell you this. You got to get Tony Robbins said, I don't want people learning on my dime. If I'm going to hire a, a CFO, that's, that's what you talk about a lot. I need somebody that's worked at PE. That's I don't want somebody that knows how to run a $2 billion company. I want somebody that knows what it's like to go from $200 million to $2 billion because the, they're two different people. One mm-hmm. person can run a $2 billion company, but they don't know what the fight is to get through there. <laughs> Amen. And right. the person yeah, that's yeah. made all the mistakes yeah. is the person you're looking for. So how do you attract that person? So we use an equity incentive program. And so there's a lot of people in the company that have equity that are all going to be millionaires. Not too far yeah. down, the lot, 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 down the road. So they've got, they're rowing in the same direction. They're all, they're all rowing with me. And it's so much fun because now we get to celebrate with a Magnum bottle of champagne and just think <laughs> about the lives we're going to change. And, you know, some of the people that could take you here, Ryan, they can't take you here. And, and it's important that you understand that. And, and how did um, you learn that? You know, because I, I've I've seen it. I've seen it. Unfortunately, my last CFO was an amazing guy. I really liked him. He did great up to where he couldn't do anymore. And it's not that difficult of a conversation because people, unfortunately, I wear my heart on my sleeves. So when I stop making a lot of eye contact when I walk by, when I don't quite talk as much, um, that's probably bad. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean to do it. Uh, I'm I, laughing, I man. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm laughing because I'm, I'm still not, the same way, dude. It's so funny. It's it's like uh, if the conversations aren't as deep, you might want to look out because <laughs> there's an issue. And the problem is, like, I feel like I'm not constantly trying to top grade, but my me- mental capacity. I'm like, if you're not reading every day, if you're not going above and beyond your 40 hour work week to teach yourself and podcast. And go and, and I we we spend a lot of a lot of money on development, especially with our leadership team. And I like to call my guys coaches, not managers. But um, it's so hard because I'm like, oh, we've surpassed you, and you stopped growing, and I feel mm-hmm. bad. So mm-hmm. you could go work anywhere in the world now in home service because you, you know what it's like to go from five million to twenty million, and most people never get there. Five million, they're stuck. Twenty million, they're stuck. Hundred million, they're really is a whole different company. So they're valued, and these guys can go anywhere. But going from a hundred million to a billion is easier than going from five million to twenty million. But still, it's a different mindset. It's like this delegation. They need to have assistance. They need to. They need to understand leadership. They need to understand people. And you know, I look back and I say, what really is my? 
I had uh, the guy that I talked about in 2014. His name's Adam. He said, Tommy, you know what your superpower is? He goes, you don't give a shit. You just ask questions. You meet people. You fly out and see them the next day. Like, you're fearless. He goes, you know, Tommy, we were at the same level in 2014 probably, but then you just started being the dumbest guy in the room everywhere you went. And you started flying around the country. And you started a podcast. And then you started an event. And everybody said it was impossible. And 300 people showed up. And he's like, you're just fearless. And I said, you know, I, I try to be really, I really do. I, I like to be around really successful people that could teach me stuff. And then I ask a million questions and then I implement. And I think a lot of people that they, they have this, they go to these events and then they, they write down a bunch of notes and they wait for the note fairy to come grant their wishes. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I'm definitely still that one. Yeah, man. I, I super fascinating, man. And so like when I think about, I, I like how you articulated the the growth and the, the consistent progress towards growth and how that could eventually be hindered as you're growing the company. And so I want to I want to dive into like your leadership and the people component in just a little bit time because I know that's a big passion of yours and you're you've really I've watched you now like that's obviously really working out. But before we do that, tell me like from the technical side because I think it's very fascinating about the systems and the process you put in. And then you're layering that on. I just think about, I think what was the podcast I did with you where you were like, I can take a million dollar EBITDA garage for a company, apply what I do, and then turn it into a $4 million EBITDA company within 12 months. There's something like, yeah. so you said something along those lines. Why don't you expand on that? Of what do you mean by that? And like, how did you get to that level of confidence? So a lot of people, unfortunately, from the private equity, venture capitalist world, they're very good at looking at pivot tables, P&Ls, balance sheets, and income statements. But they have no idea how to run a company. So they go, oh, like for example, I was in Columbus three weeks ago. I found a $300,000 EBITDA company. PE says, that's the most dumbest thing in the world to buy a company that small. You go out and buy the big dogs. They say it's going to take the same amount of time to turn that company around that a big company. Just use your leverage. And I say, well, let's look at some other things. This guy's running nine jobs per technician. He's got three technicians. He's not open nights or weekends. He doesn't believe in Google. He does no advertising. He's got stickers for 40 years. So he's getting 30 to 40 calls a day. He's got a potential to book 50, which would keep literally 12 guys busy for me because my guys only run three calls. You turn on the Google, you turn on some other things, you rebrand him uh, with a very nice wrap, a quality looking, you know, you're going to call this company. You're probably going to spend some money, but you're going to get a drug tested background checked. Really good person that knows what they're doing out there to fix it properly. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. call us after their third time with another company. They're like, we just want to fix right. And so I tend to look at what's going on behind the scenes and wow, they've got 250 reviews, five star. They're not ranking because they've not done any optimization. So I look at these companies and go, okay, we're going to get nights and weekends guys. We're going to get million-dollar producers per year. One guy, one truck, $1 million. We're going to start taking service calls and turning them into new equipment because why would you fix this old piece of crap? Let's replace it. (laughs) And um, we're going to start selling service agreements and building fence around clients. And I just know the levers that we do. These guys, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these baby boomers are like, yeah, I'm just done. I don't – I'm. you give me – give me a million bucks. I'm going to just go to Florida. And, and they're really, they're kind of just done. They're, they're just, they believe in, the, they believe in their company and they've got something really nice. They just haven't turned on the levers that I know work. 
They don't believe mm-hmm. in working weekends, but some people, I've got a lot of guys that have uh, nurses that work three twelves, and they don't mind working on the weekend and taking mm-hmm. yeah, two yeah. days off during the week. So, you know, if it works for people, I don't make, I'm not like a, you know, you had to work Sundays, but, but newer guys, they, they tend to, weekends are great because both decision makers are home mm. and we've got a big advantage. We're emergency. We, we run a lot of emergency on the weekends and a lot of companies are closed. So, you know, we just turn on these levers and it's, it's, it's pretty darn easy. The biggest thing is, like I said, I believe in people so much. I believe in eye contact, tonality, good handshake. Can you tell a great story? And then I teach them how to do garage doors. Other people, they look for garage door guys. I look for leaders, people that smile, that have a great relationship with their wife or their husband. Because if they're not happy at home, it's hard to get them to come to work and be happy. So a lot of times I'll bring the significant other out to dinner. And if they, you could just tell there's animosity and they're just, they're like, they're disrespecting each other. It's, it's one of those red flags. And, um, when I find a really good person, I'll find a job for them versus, I mean, we, we brought in 50 technicians last month and 50 this month, which means we need, you know, we've got equations. That means we need, we need four and a half dispatchers. And, uh, <laughs> doing the math here, we need about, we need about 10, 10 CSRs. So that's a lot of people in a month. Think about that for a five, well, 600 it, person company. We hired 70 people last month. So Tommy, what I find so fascinating, man, is like, so what you said about private equity compared to running a business, I, uh, and these are just generalizations, right? Obviously there's outliers, but like in, in the overall theme, I have realized what you have said too. And I've, I've, I've been describing it for years, Tommy. It's like, there's like two circles of a Venn diagram. Like one is operations of a company and the other one's finance. And like, there's like less than, you know, a percent probably that understand both. And that's how you described it. And then like I've, I've been watching the private equity firms, you know, roll into Minnesota, gobbling up a lot of these home services. And there's two things I always say, Tommy, and it's like, fine, you can go look at all those numbers and it's been a 12 year bull run up, right? What happens about all the supply chain and, you know, labor issues and all that stuff. But then you go that private equity firm, they, you know, they, they bought these companies. Now they have to systematize it and they have to, it's all a people business. It's not a SaaS company. That's code, right? So like how important it is what you just said, I don't know if people, maybe they might understand it, but like, how did you get that passion about people and and then the people that then develop the systems? Like, where did that come to the point where you were like, I need to know that they're happy at home? So, well, let me just tell you that I hated the people in the beginning. They were taking smoke breaks. My mom was answering three calls at a time. It was nutty. And literally I was like, I'm taking all the risk here. You know, I didn't realize that this is their life. They want to put their kids in private school. They want to go on real vacations. They deserve to have a dream. So there was a lot of people during COVID that they they lined up. They formed a line outside of my office. And a lot of them just gave me all their PTO. They turned it in and said, I want to give this to other people. Uh, Three people took demotions. They didn't end up needing to because... You know, it was one bad week, one really yeah, bad I was like, well, week. No one knew what was going on. Yeah. And then it all, and then it ended up being super busy and we were deemed essential. But ultimately I started to say, oh my gosh, these, these are, these are the lifeblood of the company. I mean, these people care so much. And, you know, my heart has grown so much to think, 
how do I get them insurance, help them set up for retirement, help them own houses? And then we hired a dream manager and the dream managers, we sit down and figure out how to get them in shape and healthy. And Explain that. Great. Explain it. It's so badass, man. I just absolutely love it. So there's a book called The Dream Manager. And the book is, uh, so this book is a, is a fiction book. But the story is, uh, it hits home, um, janitorial service, mostly Latino, Spanish speaking, and they had a high, high, high turnover. And the manager there went to the owner and said, hey, man, um, we need to figure out how to keep these employees because the turnover is costing us a fortune. And he said, well, you know, that's just the nature of this industry. And he goes, well, let me try something. Let me send out a, uh, a survey and find out what's important to these people. And he goes, oh, all they're going to want is more money. And he goes, well, can I just test this out? And he goes, yeah, go ahead. He goes, send out your, your little survey. So he sends out a survey and he finds out the most important thing to these particular workers was getting to work. It was, they had a hard time getting to work, getting to the job site to do the cleaning and the janitorial service. So they started this carpool service and they were able to get the people to work. Well, they tripled how long they were staying. And he goes, I think I might have something here. So he said, well, I want to find out what else is important. And he found out that most of these workers wanted to be able to speak English. And so they started English lessons and they started it for the kids and extended family. And all of a sudden retention went through the roof. And then they just decided what else is important. And all these things came to light that they had no idea. And when you figure out what's in it for them, what's important to the people, do do they want to move up a corporate ladder? Do they want insurance? Do they want to go on this dream anniversary after 10 years? Do they want to put their kids in private school? Do they want to own a home? Do they need better credit? All of the above. And what I realized is my dream needs to be big enough to have everybody else's dream inside. And now I get excited when somebody makes six figures and put away for their retirement and gets a good credit score. And they get to bring a kid into this world saying, I'm going to be not only a breadwinner, but I'm going to be able to be there for supper and be a coach on the weekends. I think that stuff, it makes me, in a certain way, I, I love celebrating the wins. I'm selfish because now I need to hear this all the time about how people are being becoming better parents and becoming homeowners. And I want more. I'm like, let's double down on that. Mm-hmm. And let's make sure. See, a lot of people, they charge the wrong prices. And then they say, I would never how do you sleep at night? I would never do that to my client. I'm like, number one, your shit breaks all the time because you don't fix it, right? You carry cheap parts. Number two is you say that paying somebody $50,000 a year, not being able to give them anything great, like new vehicles to drive and we pay them weekly and give them PTO. So you are saying that you'd rather take care of your clients, but screw your employees, your family. I'm like, how do you sleep at night? Knowing that you're just letting people barely scrape by, they can't get out of their apartment, they'll never be able to go on a real vacation. Their kids, they get hand-me-down clothes because they can't afford to go shopping for the new year, and you sleep at night? How dare you? And I've said this to dozens of business owners, and they literally, they say, you know, I never looked at it like that. Uh, I think I'm going to have to raise my prices to actually be able to build a company. And, And I just think the more you could do for people, you get the right people. If you look at our Indeed and Glassdoor, which are two places people look, they don't always go there. But but it's astounding 
what it looks like. It, it, the people really do care here. And what I found is recruiting is the most essential thing in a business. It's finding talent. And every time I'm getting a haircut and I'm at a restaurant and I'm at a Fry's going grocery shopping, I'm recruiting. <laughs> I love it. And we teach a lot on how to recruit. So I, I love it, Tommy. And the reason I, I mean, I just, I have the same beliefs as you. So like, that is just, I, I think it's so, so interesting. And like, I, like I heard someone else on, the, on my show say something about your dream has to be big enough to have other people to fit into it. <clears throat> and it's, I wonder if it came from that book, because it is interesting where I think about what are the people that you're talking to, to buy? Like, cause I, I, I think one of the biggest issues that I've seen in like just the financial buyers coming in that there, there's, there's a big misalignment with this, you know, they call it the conscious capitalism thread between like the, like the, Hey, everybody's good. These people helped me got there. I still need to monetize this and not screw myself, but I would also like to keep the legacy as well. And there's like a huge misalignment, especially with strategic buyers. You know, like when I was on your show, telling me, telling you about my story of like strategic buyers usually have a lot of redundancies and there's a lot of misalignment potential misalignment as far as what to do with the business after that. How like yep. when you're having conversations with, with people that are going to sell, I mean, I can't imagine that this is anything but amazing, like attractiveness for people to sell to you because of this one particular reason. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's um, the one common theme seems to be, what are you going to do with my people? And I'm like, we're going to retrain them on, on a CRM with systems. And you know, most likely one or two of them are not going to make it. And you probably know who they are. You might automatically identify them. But ultimately, this is a better life as long as you buy in. Uh, so the question is, do you want to stay on? Or do you plan on walking off into the sunset? And if they stay on, I say, do me a favor. I want you to take a piece of paper. I want to write. I want you to write down what you love, what your dreams, what your passion is about this business. And I also want you to write down what you absolutely despise. Payroll, taxes, hiring, whatever, HR. And then I want to build your dream job. Literally, you want to take two months off. Really, two months of not looking at your phone because when's the last time you really took time off that you mm -hmm. didn't come back to a catastrophe? So I don't care how much time you take off. Literally, I don't mind. You can take off three months. You know, we've got the people and checks and balances in place. So they say taking care of my people, usually they have one or two made people. But what, what's crazy, Ryan, is all these people say these people are so important to me. But yet when it comes down to it and they get paid the millions of dollars, these people get nothing. And I'm just surprised because I've given away 20% of the company and an equity incentive program at a strike price of an average of $70 million. And it's going to be millions of dollars for each person. And, and I'm not, I don't feel like this, this thing, like, oh, I'm, I'm this really generous person and I give them, and I'm like, you know, these people are earning every piece of what they're getting. I, I'm not, I'm not like this. I, I love it how some owners just think they're like majestic or something. I'm like, look, <laughs> these people are all starting to sprint. They're like, oh yeah, because I was nice enough. I'm like, look, these people are. I've done, I've literally, this is pretty sad that I did this, but I've whiteboarded with or without them. And the wealth generated for me with them is far greater than it would have been without them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and that feels good. I will say 
it feels good that they're going to be, you know, I was walking with one of the gals that's part of it and we were, we were on a walk near a dog park and she goes, this is my dream neighborhood. This is where I grew up, but I never thought I'd be able to afford this. But with what you're working on, I'll, I'll get to me and my son will be able to be back in this neighborhood where I grew up. Wow. And that, that's like, that means a lot to me. That's awesome. Our dad man. was a barber uh, right there down the street from where I'm at. So, you know what? I, I think it's uh, like the different, the multidimensional fat, the, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. It's like, you, like with, from the people, the systems, your vision and like, and then your ability to execute it. I see so many people that I think have the dream of doing just what is good. Like you are having a dream, but then they don't know how to build the, the, the systems and have the people to delegate to. You know, I, I'm I just, I'm trying to think of the words for it, Tommy. Honestly, it's like, cause like a lot of people I, I've interviewed so many people or how many people I've met that like have the dream of what you just said, but they don't know how to get there. You know what I mean? Like they don't have enough. The, the, like the problem is, is, is these people like me, you know, typically visionaries have ADHD, but ADHD is not a bad thing. It, it, it's actually a talent it, it, when it could be focused, when it could be, when you could pull it all in, I could hear three things going on and know what's going on. I mean, I, but the problem is there's a lot of great ideas mm-hmm. and there's a thing called Eisenhower matrix that kind of tells you where you should be focused I think it's too many people, they, they get all these ideas and they don't know what to start today. And they don't, I always tell people, and this is the best analogy I can think of is I live on Mars and earth is the business. And every time there's a volcano and a hurricane or, or an earthquake or whatever, I kind of, I zoom in and kind of see what's going on there. And I ask a lot of questions and we, I, I'm such a strong visionary. And, and I had a company here that we, that I really want to partner with and they go, just seeing you, Tommy, we would have never believed this is real. But you've got so many people that are willing to do whatever you ask. They're right behind you. They're following your dream. And I never looked at it like that. I was like, you guys see that? And they're like, these people, everything you say, they eat up. Like, they're behind you 100%. And I'm like, well, I've given them everything I said I would. I have never lied to somebody. One thing I told somebody the other day is when Tommy Mello shakes your hand, this is what I want to be known for, is you're a millionaire. He doesn't lie. He doesn't cheat. Now, listen, I had a deal fall apart and the guy's really upset, but you know, this was a new construction company. And I said, I need, I need two-year contracts and I need all your 1099s becoming W-2s. And he goes, I can't guarantee that. I go, dude, this, this economy, new construction, let's be honest. Like, there, there's this is a really weird time that you had your best year. He went from, he went from 200,000 profit to 500,000 to 7 million in three <laughs> years. And he wanted a multiple on that. And I'm like, I'll give you your, your second year. I'll give you an average of those. Three. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, what do you think is the issue with um, people doing what you're saying right now? Like, cause it, to me, it seems like common sense and I love it. But then also like, you know what I've caught myself saying, Tommy, to, I've got my marketing coordinator who's going to be listening to this. So like I said to Scott, after we, we won a new partnership and I was like, I, I, I really just believe it's because we're good people and we do what we say we're going to do. And like, that's the differentiator. <laughs> and it's kind of just an interesting, like, what, what do you, what, what's your take on that? Like what, like that, that many people like will come work to you and you have partners that will do things for you that because like, what are some of those things? I mean, is it. 
Am I onto something here? Or like, I don't know if you're yeah, you know, I, it's interesting. What are the differentiators? You know, here's the facts. We've got a freaking machine that puts out great people. It's a system, but here's the deal. I, I just said something with Al Levy the other day. I put it on Facebook. I'm never content, but I'm always happy. So think about that. But mm-hmm. I just feel like, like I'm looking at our systems and I'm like, I got to tell you, I still think I'm in the most tiny fetal, fetal little company because all I see is opportunity. Mm. And people ask me what keeps me up at night. I'm like, nothing. You know what keeps me up at night is daydreaming about what we're going to be <laughs> and really getting into the mindset awesome. of what a multi-billion dollar company looks like. But there's nothing that keeps me up at night. No problems. But I see, I had one of the guys come in here with uh, Clope and he said, hey, I had a client reach out to you. I recommended you and they had a bad experience. And I said, okay, give me their name. I'm going to research that. I don't get mad about that stuff. You know, shit happens. But ultimately, there's so much opportunity. And um, I double down on training. I do the orientations myself for four hours. I, um, I believe train, 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 then train again. I believe in retention because a lot of people are so focused on getting people in the front door, they're losing people in the back door. You know, 82% of people say that they stay at a company because they make best friends and they get to work around their friends. Well, you don't make friends at work. You make friends outside of work. So the mm-hmm. more you can do things, especially eat, feed them, <laughs> feed the people, break the bread, <laughs> feed, the, feed the people. Listen, people say they don't have enough money to do this stuff. I'm like, you could afford Bisquick at Costco. You could afford to make some pancakes. You could afford to take somebody to play volleyball or Frisbee golf. And you need to start doing these events outside of work. And then you build relationships with their family. And then it's like, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a place where you want to be. And I just love watching guys. I was bowling last week with all 50 guys. And I bet them you'll love this bet. I said, all right, guys, there's five guys on this lane, five guys on this lane. If I win and I'm playing each lane separately, but I'm only playing on one. So I'm playing on this one lane. but I'm going to bet whoever beats me, the one guy that beats me on each one, you each get a thousand bucks. I, uh, I ended up getting four strikes and a spare and a strike. And I beat all of everybody. I just loved it too. <laughs> oh, I just loved awesome. it because I had the whole, the whole people were watching. They're like, what are you going to do? Cause I was losing in the sixth frame. And I was like, I don't lose. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to pull it together. And they're like, yeah, right. And I was like, hell yeah, dude. So, uh, but you know, I'm super competitive and I look for people that are competitive. And these pe- guys walked up to me and I said, there's two types of people in this world. Those who ate to be last and those who need to be first. You got to decide who you are because I need to win. I'm a winner. But then again, Simon Sinek wrote The Infinite Game. And really, you know, it's it's more about just winning. It's about enjoying the journey. Mm-hmm. And that's why we do the Pinnacle Club. We just went to Cabo last last year. We're taking a bunch of people. And I told you I'm getting hopefully getting a point, uh, getting a place here at Desert, Desert or Sandpoint in Idaho. And instead of doing something once a year, we do a lot of events and fun stuff, baseball games, all kinds of stuff. But I want to go on a retreat every quarter and bring more people. And everybody says, man, that's a lot of expenses. I say, that's a lot of investments. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's this old notion. What if I train somebody and they leave and they go start their own company? But what if I train them and they stay? Is mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of faith in yourself if you don't think you can keep employees. 
Like mm-hmm. that's one thing I tell every each and every employee here. I go, I'll teach you to love me because I care. And you're going to see I, I'm going to pour love into you. I'm going to teach you about the company. We carry the best parts. If you find a better part, we'll carry it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you that we give the best benefits. I'm going to show you we got the best tools, the best vans. There's one thing I can't do, and that's to teach you to love you. Look into the mirror and believe in yourself. And you're worth more. You're worth everything that's coming. I, I tell this story. I say a guy a guy had a, has a daughter, and he gave her a car on her 16th birthday. And he said, I want you to take this to the uh, – local used car lot. And I want you to see what they tell you. And she brings it back and she goes, dad, they told me it's worth a thousand dollars because it's pretty old and it's got some issues. He goes, well, take it over to the pawn shop and see what they say. Takes it over to the pawn shop. She said, dad, they'll give me a couple hundred bucks for this car. And she goes, all right, well, listen, we've got a local shop here. It's a collector's club. I want you to take it to the collector's club. She comes back. She goes, dad, some people offer me 200 grand. This car is hard to find. It's very, very valuable. There's only two models made that they know of like this car. And she's, he said, listen, honey, I want you to realize that if you're not in the right place, you'll never be valued. But you are a one in a million. And when you're in the right place, people will see your value. And I read that and I talk, tell that story to each and every new employee. And I say, guess what? You're in the right place and I care. And if you follow me, I promise you, you're going to have success. All I could tell you is a certificate when you graduate, it could take you anywhere you want. You worked at the number one shop. One in 200 applicants get to work here and make it through. You're a Navy SEAL, SEAL Team 6. Holy shit, man. So how how do you take everything that you're saying and integrate that into the other leaders in in the firm? So we've got all kinds of training and, 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 and we always pay for different seminars. We, I, I had the most people wearing A1 shirts at, at uh, Pantheon. I actually spoke at Pantheon. <laughs> the big thing is they got to know what the vision is. They need to believe the vision. And then they need to self-identify. One of the things, like I, I've identified one thing recently, that, that they can't get rid of people if they don't believe they're doing their job because they're afraid that they're going to have to take it on. And I've been in the same position. So I called the number one gal in the world, I believe, at recruiting. And I said, I want to pay you to fly in here. I want you to teach us how to hunt. Because right now we're waiting for people to come knocking on our door. We're looking for lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. I said, I want Mm -hmm. you to show me how to become a hunter. I already know how to hunt. But I I don't know how to go through LinkedIn. And like, look, you do not find great people in the unemployment line. You know, you mm-hmm. gotta go find great people that they're already have a job. job. They're, they're, they're have jobs, yep. So I identified that. I put it into motion. She's gonna be here in the next two weeks, and um, it's not a done deal. But then we're gonna take what we learned, and then I'm gonna have a contest, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make it into a habit. <clears throat> but but hunting for, I could train technicians, CSRs, dispatchers, and installers. I can't train a CFO. I can't. I need them to have the real world experience and, and have a really good, they, they like know what they're doing. I, mm-hmm. COO, the CHRO, like you need, if you're going to build a company, you need to have great fundamentals of people that have already done it. Did you, did you like, while you're building that, that team that helped you with that hockey stick growth time, I, I see a lot of people that they might have, believe all the things that you do as well, 
but then they have a challenge of like where they have to like maybe risk everything on the line or like they can't afford to hire those people. But the only way to get out from that like lack of cash flow is to hire those people. So like, did you ever have any like hard decisions like that where you're like, I'm betting the farm on like, hey, this this is going to come because these people are going to be there. You know, there have been some real crap shoots. Like there are times that I almost lost everything, but I had to write myself checks because I've always been able to save. I'll tell you, one good thing about me is when I was 16, I was putting money into a Roth IRA. I was putting 300 bucks a month. I maxed it out. I, I haven't been able to put money in a Roth IRA since I think 2014, actually. But I find that most companies are underfunded. And they have to stay the worker to even make ends meet. Mm-hmm. But they're not charging the right prices. And there's a great book by Alan Rohr called How Much Should I Charge? And unfortunately, it starts out with sweat equity. And what I would say is, if you can't afford the best, I would say hire a $700,000 CFO, but get him for four hours a week. And now you're only paying him 70 grand because he'll give you what a $700,000 person could do. He'll get you on BillPay.com. He'll help you understand the Augusta tax rule. He'll help you buy a property and do a cost segregation study. He will help you understand uh, accelerated depreciation with new trucks. And because you're an idiot if you're buying old trucks, you think you're saving money, but you're not. And all these things and understanding how they get bucketed and how these things work. And you understand this more than anybody, but you don't have to hire everybody when you're small. You need to get the right. What you should do is build an org chart. And then you'll put a role for every single thing and make it really sexy and appetizing. Don't put must be, must be, only possible, must, must, must. Don't make it look like a prison sentence. <laughs> so, so put down what they should do and then put yourself as you're wearing that hat. Uh-huh. And then circle what you hate. And then you hire those people first. And you say, okay, this is freeing me up to do. So you shouldn't have, you shouldn't hate money. Yeah. So, so start to enjoy Mondays again and hire those roles. But all I would say is I love what you're doing with fractional CFO. I think there's some things of a really good marketing agency. Very few. What I found is marketing agencies are a jack of everything, a master of none. I work with about 10 different companies. Plus I do a lot in house. And I'd say there's two things that an owner needs to focus on. You need to know you're getting leads and that includes recruits. I think marketing is threefold. Mm-hmm. Uh, customers uh it's it's recruiting for employees and it's partnerships and then you got to understand what a balance sheet income statement and PL is because you don't know what to fix uh if you don't and another piece of advice that i recommend is go find the biggest best company out of state tell them how much you love them and appreciate them read the guys or gals book and then go in there and be a student and watch when you walk in there like when i walk in this office now it's like the air is different the oxygen is flowing differently. It's like the people are working for something different. There's like, we are trying to cause a movement, a change in our industry. Mm-hmm. And and everybody feels it. It's like magic. And, and when you see it, I saw this the first time with Ghetto, with Ken Goodrich. And I, I watched his company that does $300 million And I was like, dude, this is freaking fantastic. Like, I am so impressed. And success leaves clues. And I started, I spent more time visiting hundred million dollar plus shops that I probably have really any other thing in the business other than running my own business. That's that. So dude, so many good gold nuggets in there. I just absolutely love it. And I like, um, 
I don't even know where to go with it. I mean, honestly, it's just like, cool. Cause I just, I just, I think it's so cool because you're, you're saying these things, but you're doing it at the same time. I mean, what was the, uh, you know, with, with this book elevate, like wh- how, like what's the, what's the underlying, I mean, I don't know if it's exactly what you were just saying, the underlying thesis behind it, but like, what is the, what is the, the thing that you want to accomplish by releasing the book? Well, I just believe that that when you start thinking what's in it for them instead of what's in it for me, when you start understanding that just because I win doesn't mean you have to lose because we learn about games that win and lose. And I'm just not a big fan of win and lose. I'm a big fan of win-win. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of we're stronger together. I'm a big fan of there should be a deal that I don't shit on people. Like like Grant Cardone, I got to tell you guys, his plan is to, to, to take ownership of your company with giving you nothing down. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather give you a hundred, a couple hundred grand or 500 grand. You know, why, why is it that he can't give anything? He's got the money. I just, you know, he's very successful and I think he's a genius in a lot of ways, but ultimately I just want to be treated like I'd want to be treated. You know, I want, I I want to literally think I've got a good ability these days to put myself in their shoes and say, man, I I love it, man. I just, I, I freaking love it, Tommy, because like, so the, this is why when I read the book Conscious Capitalism years ago, and my listeners get probably sick and tired of me talking about it, but like it was like, what? I, have you read it before? No, I remember you, I wrote that down. Dude, I think I bought it. You would freaking love it, man. So essentially, it's like when. So one of the one of the uh, philosophies behind it is when did the six power Tommy? So like, let me see if you this, this if you track or if you relate or you know, give me some comments on this. So it's when did the six power? And essentially, if you have like six stakeholders, I'm not gonna remember exactly all of them. Employees customers, partners, vendors, you know, like, and then people, uh, shareholders, uh, and then the, the climate or the environment. And the moment that you realize that your company is doing one of those stakeholders a disservice, fucking stop. Yep. <laughs> like, right. Just quit doing it. And what I have seen my whole life is people turning blind eyes. And I was just like, well, this doesn't sync up with the rules that I was grown up with. So like your, your conviction behind it is so similar to mine, man, that it's just like, this is why I get so freaking insanely passionate about like what I watch people that are in the high finance, just blatantly F people over because they just know more. And I'm like, it's so, I watch these PE companies and they're like, if we could get it for this, why not? And I'm like, goodwill out there this guy will go get 10 more companies and he will brag about how we treated him just because you 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 could doesn't mean you should just because you could doesn't mean you should you know it's funny i tell everybody when they say can you do it for this i say i'll give you their prices when they give you our service but it was interesting i had a conversation with keith mercurio who was really high up at next star and he goes uh I said, I got a question for you because he coaches Ara and Vahe as service Titan. He's their mentor and, and like literally like talks them through their hard decisions. And I go, so you've got all these investors. You got a fiduciary responsibility to your investors. But yet you came up, your dad was in the trades. The trades built you. They built this software. How does that resonate with them? And he goes, you know, Tommy, I, I can't go into detail. But the reason that I work with those guys is because every time they're faced with making more money or helping the trades, they make a great decision and they help the trades. And he goes, their moral compass is like nothing I've ever seen because there were so many opportunities I've seen them where everybody's telling them to do something and they chose not to. 
And I think that's so important is to understand. In my first book, The Home Service Millionaire, I came up with a term. It's called creative justification. People condone things in their head when they, you know, in the Bible, and I'm not a big Bible uh, quote guy, but it says, if you start to ignore your conscience, you'll lose it. And all of a sudden, like I get free remotes and keypads if I buy enough units at a certain time. And a guy could say, well, Tommy didn't pay for this, so I could just take it and make the money. All of a sudden, your brain starts to figure out ways to justify. And I just think you got to be very careful of that, that, that little noise in your ear and say, mm-hmm. this is probably not right. And a lot of people, you start ignoring it, and all of a sudden you start doing a lot of bad stuff. And I see a lot of people out there. It's, it's, it, 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 I love it, man, because it's like I, the moment you realize something's bad, stop. And, and like, and like, it's weird. I was, I was listening to this podcast recently. I was talking about like, when you lie, like that slippery slope of lying like that, like lying to yourself, lying and like, which is then therefore you're directly acknowledging that your morals and integrity that you're striving for don't matter. So you're like essentially sabotaging yourself. And then he goes, the world has this insane way of snapping back into reality, even though it might take a while. Right. It might take two years or whatever it is for that one decision that you made that you took the shortcut on. And it, but the reality will snap back and it might be very painful. <laughs> and it's uh, I, how, you know, one thing is we're as we're getting close to wrapping up here, Tommy, is like, so at some point, you because you've always been talking, you've been talking a lot about your value and you've been marching towards equity value. And which is why you and I were in sync right away. I was like, Tommy is out beating the drum <laughs> and then, that I've been beating his way. We're same band, man. And the. The challenge that I have seen countless times is people that care as much as you do about all of your stakeholders monetizing the business and continuing to let the business grow without without sacrificing the magic that got it there. So how do you think about the next gen like that next leader? Not necessarily you can talk about the any mechanics you might have thought about, but I'm more thinking about everything that you've bottled up protecting that so that some way you know and then you talk about the infinite game like simon Sinek is talking about he i mean he has a whole section in there about private equity right <laughs> like so because of the short-term view so how do you keep what you've built and monetize have you thought through how to have those interviews with people that care yeah well you know there's a good book by jim collins called built to last and what it talks about is a great ceo builds a company that when he leaves it will still be the magic. So I'm not building a company that if I walk away, I'm going to say, ha, you guys suck without me. Ha, no, <laughs> I'm like, that, that's, that's bullshit. That's, that's, that's a small person mentality. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of people like that. They're like, oh, you're going to fail without me. So Jack Welch is the epitome of the great CEO that isn't, was able to isn't find Isn't that true? Totally, man. Yeah, it, it's exactly. And so for me, Literally, we we just did a study of our industry and we paid a good amount of money, 600 grand. Um, it's supposedly a $14 billion market cap. And um, I, I find that hard to believe. I think it's higher, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm changing the market cap daily. And I do believe there's some strategic partners down the line that we could become like probably going to break some antitrust laws because we're going to have so much of the market. Like that's where my brain goes. Mm-hmm. Like I better make sure I don't get like in trouble for being a monopoly because I think I can take over. And, and so it, it's, it, but, but here's the deal. 
100 million, if you go back three houses ago and you were to fog up the shower, on that mirror, you see 100 million somehow vaguely pop up on that mirror. I promise you. I've always thought about going back there and just heating that room up. But uh, now it's, it's, it's unfortunately, and look, this is not, I'm not, look, I, I'm still, you can take the guy out of the trailer park, but you can't take the trailer park out of the guy. But a hundred million to me just isn't the same, but yet forking out $80 on a steak dinner is still, but I mean, I spend a lot more than that, but ultimately a hundred million just, it's weird what my, my brain's done is all of a sudden a billion doesn't seem quite the same way. And inflation is, really doing that but if a billion seems out of reach it is out of reach now i'm going okay here's how i here's how personally i'm worth two billion within four years here's how i do this 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 and this but now i'm thinking about who can i take with me how do i enrich their lives how do i enrich everybody's life that i'm part of how do i leave a legacy how do i have the best day look when i die i don't want anybody wearing black I want there to be fireworks and I want there to be a celebration. And I want I want it to be a celebration of life, no bullshit. And I no organ no organs, tell me no no organs and 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 dreary shades and and, and stale no, no, shitty coffee. No, none of that. None of that. <laughs> Hopefully it's on the fourth of July because I just I love it. I'm not the guy, dude, that that literally like uh, look uh, there's two things that are for sure taxes and death. And uh, I just, I want to leave some stuff here. And, you know, the mindset is this. Ryan, here's something important that a lot of people are listening need to understand is when you're barely making payroll, you can't think about culture. You, you can't think about what I get mm-hmm. to think about now. When you're, when you're literally struggling and you're putting in 12 hours a day working in the business, I used to hate it when people would talk about culture. And I used to just hate these type of podcasts because they'd be like, yeah, you're full of shit. You don't know what it's like. I'm str- Dude, my relationships are suffering. I I can barely keep a girlfriend. Like I remember back in the day, it was so tough. And I was like, I don't get to spend any time with my mom or dad. And uh, But when things start going good, and what it takes is discipline. It takes focus. You can't start being a real estate investor, invest with your buddy's bar. You got to reinvest in the main thing, the one thing by Gary Keller. Reinvest in the company. Your sweat equity counts. Do not... Get yourself on a budget. Do not buy a Harley Davidson. Do not buy that RV that you've always wanted. You go rent your your, your Harley for the weekend. Put it back in. Start saving money. Reinvesting into the company. You know, one day this guy, this guy uh, Dave Carson, I go, dude, I put my eggs in a lot of baskets. And he goes, Tommy, imagine if you put all your eggs in one basket. It would overflow. (laughs) And I'll never forget that. <laughs> it's because, awesome. Because I started focusing on the one thing. And I read this book called Essentialism. And all of a sudden I realized, man, what is the best thing of my time on this business? And if you could just, you know why racehorses, they have blinders on. They could see right in front of them. But the best pedigree, the best horses in the world wear blinders so they can stay focused on the race. And if you could put blinders on for the first few years of your business and reinvest it all and take some sacrifice with relationships, it's going to happen with money. It's going to happen. Eat a little bit more affordably, start shopping instead of going to restaurants all the time. I promise you 
it starts giving back in dividends. It's compound interest, and it can be the strongest thing in the world for you or against you. It's awesome, man. Like, I, I just appreciate your perspective so much, man. It's uh, like the 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 consumption of books, the the vision, the execution, just the whole the whole the whole package, man. I just uh, I appreciate it so much. So, two final questions as we're wrapping up here. One is, where does everybody find you? The podcast, the company, all the stuff you got going on. The, the book, yeah. etc. So the podcast is a home service expert. <laughs> it's kind of funny now looking hindsight. I don't know if I would have called it that. It's a fun, you know what I've got out of podcasting for the last five years is I get to have anybody I want on there. We get about 40,000 downloads a month. I want to get to a hundred. Um, but it's literally been when I'm going through something tough in my business, I just get someone on the podcast. If I need to learn more about recruiting, I've got a, the guy that wrote Who Coming On. It's one of my favorite recruiting books. So the podcast is amazing. There's different things there. You know, I've had you on. We've talked about fractional CFOs. The book I wrote is A Home Service Millionaire. And the book wouldn't be good except for I got 12 co-authors that are really smart. They teach us how to build manuals, what arbitrage really means, how to price right. Uh, like like everything. Our other CEO of Service Time talks about picking the right CRM. Uh, so that that's a cool book that I had a lot of fun with. And A1 Garage Door Service, you know, I've got a, a event coming up, Vertical Track, uh, October 12th through the 14th. We have it once a year now. And I just try to make the, – the event is actually takes a loss. But because uh, I don't make money on events. You know how I make money? Garage doors. I have a garage door company. I don't make money coaching. You know who can't make it in the real world? They coach and they teach. I make a freaking murder. I kill it in my business. I make a lot of freaking money. I don't need to speak for money. People are like, why don't you charge 10 grand? I'm like, cause I'm trying to share the message and I can give two shits about 10 grand. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be, I'm not trying to belittle 10 grand, but I'm like, I don't make a living speaking. I make a living for my core business. That's mm-hmm. what I talk about. I get to talk about how I make a living. I don't need to get paid for it. I hate the coaches that I see all over Facebook trying to oh. coach people because they failed their own business. Yeah, it's, it's, it's annoying. Uh, there, uh, this guy on uh, uh, Novel uh, N A V A L. He's got this like Twitter rant. It's like a two or three and a half hours, Tommy, about how to get rich. You would love it, man. So much of the stuff we're talking about right now, and he, uh, he's he's now his whole thing's how to get rich, and it's really just like slow, long, really hard work doing what's right. It's like everything we've been talking about. It's three and a half hours about just that, and he goes, "Don't ever pay someone to teach you how to get rich because that means that they've totally." It's a total, it's a, you're going to get duped. He's like, so listen to build people on how to get rich from the people that have never charged for it because they're teaching you what they've done. So like you're living it. I love it. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want anybody. I'm not saying I'll never have, I'm going to have some really, really badass. Like, like I I want some cool stuff like uh, older cars. I'm not a big Ferrari guy, but I'm never going to be caught on a private jet, even though, you know, flying, I don't want those pictures. I don't want to be known for that. I don't, I want to be like Steve Sims, blue fishing. You know, I want to be known for the guy. You'll, you'll catch me on a boat fishing. You'll catch me on a golf course. But yeah, you know, a lot of these get rich guys, they're borrowing their mom's, their, their uncle's Ferrari. They're, they're renting an Airbnb for a weekend. Like, even though I could, I won't, I won't be known for that. And you know what? I think I drive, this is my Nissan Titan right out here. It's a it's a nice Nissan Titan. It's one of the better ones, but and we wrapped it. But at the end of the day, I'm not. I love that truck, and I'm a, I'm a pretty simple guy. And you know what's nice is I don't have this lifestyle 
that's going to be outrageous. And if it is a little bit with a nice couple of houses, the reason why, Ryan, this is important, is because I want to share. I want to entertain. I want to let the people that have worked so hard come enjoy. And it's it, 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 and I think people think I'm crazy. Everybody says, nobody should ever know where you live. They, they're going to think you make too much money. I'm like, but they helped earn it. Like, like nobody should know what's in your books. Every freaking employee knows what's in our bank account and know what knows what our books are. That's awesome. I don't give two do, shits. Do you run open book management? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome, man. So the, my, my last question is one that I'm very excited to hear your answer for. So uh, name of the podcast is Intentional Growth. So I would love to know what your definition of the word intentional is. <laughs> intentional. I think you have a plan. I think, I think there's – you're following a mindset with a plan and you're meaning to do it, you know? So, so like there's a plan in place. It didn't just, there's this, let me just tell you this story, Ryan, and I'll end with this. One day there's this guy and there's a really, really bad hurricane and he's on his first floor in Florida and the fire ambulance comes by in a boat. I love this one. I love it. Keep, and, it, keep uh, going. Keep going. I love it. He comes by and says, dude, you're going to drown. And he goes, no, 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 no. You don't know one thing, Mr. Fireman. The Lord is my savior and I'll just pray. Well, he goes down to the second level and now this is the Coast Guard, right? And they're in the boat and they're like, dude, you're gone. This is this. The water's going to just drown you. And he goes, no, 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 no. As I say my prayers, he shall provide. And, um, Finally, he's on the top of his roof and a helicopter comes by, drops the ladder and says, get on this, your last hope, because I don't think you know my Lord and Savior, the Father. He will, he will save me. Well, he drowns. He goes to heaven. He's talking to Jesus and he goes, Jesus, I don't understand. I thought you'd save me. He goes, what do you mean? I sent you two boats and I sent you a helicopter. You know, you just got to open your eyes. And what he was hoping for was to get lucky. He was hoping that that pray, not lucky, but he was hoping sometimes intentional just means you have a plan. It's, 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 you don't wait for it to happen. You know, I find people that get in shape. All it is, is one word. Consistency is intentional is having a plan of being consistent and just continuing to have this plan. And it's, it's, I find that people have a hard time, whether it's an alcohol, drugs, gambling those are three bad ones but also tv social media if they could just live without certain things they could get so much more done that's awesome man and i'd say that your whole the whole interview we just did you are the definition of intentional you have a plan and you're taking deliberate action every day to get it you you had the whiteboard right you fogged the mirror (laughs) i love it Tommy, man, yeah, man. I'm, I've uh, had a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great, Ryan. Appreciate being here. <laughs> well, did I, well, did I lie or did I not? Does Tommy have more energy than I do? I don't know. Debatable, but I'll tell you what. I had a blast. I love his stories. And again, the takeaway is Tommy is a normal guy. He's got a, he's got a plan and he's got a plan that he executes And the goal is to give you the confidence that any other business buyer, you have the right to ask all the questions about what are they planning on doing with their company so you can understand if it's a fit that you want to pursue. You're going to get the money. 
but there's going to be certain trade-offs or certain alignment on the intangibles, like the people, the culture, the community, your vision of the company, your vendors. I don't know what, what all the other things, but trying to help you understand that there are purposes of the deal. Like we talked about in the strategic transaction inter- uh, uh, podcast interview a couple months ago, where the better you understand the purpose of the deal, the more clarity you can get if, if it's something that you want to pursue. And again, you would learn a lot of that material at the Intentional Growth Bootcamp. Two spots left. It's at Bethel University in Minnesota on November 2nd and 3rd. And I'm very excited for this. Uh, it's been three years since we've done an in-person one. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure to reach out and check out the website if you're interested. Next week's episode, we're going to be unpacking family transitions from someone that has really done it amazing. And I, I can't wait for anybody that's interested in family transitions to tune into that one. I will see everybody next week.